You're listening to GNU World Order, episode 48 of season 12 for 1811-25. In this episode, I'm going to take some listener feedback, all, and then I'm going to talk about, I think, some gaming topics, because that's kind of the natural extension of one of the listener feedbacks. So let's get started, anyway. So the first one is from Deep Geek, and this isn't the one about gaming topics. He says, I mean, honestly, neither is the other one, but anyway, he says... Thanks for the excellent episode, as always. Well, thank you very much, Deep Geek. And he's referring here to 12, episode 47, season 12. So that's, what, one episode ago, I think. So he says, I wanted to mention to you the properties of ZFS in relation to some of your concerns in your podcast. I don't know what your options are for running it in Slackware, but I run it under Debian as a file as a fuse-based file system. ZFS does not have a manual entry of bad blocks, although it does support this functionality. The designers thought that way of handling the problem was too messy and it should be automated. So instead, ZFS is usually run with multiple mirrored disks. ZFS keeps hashes of all data and only returns data to an application as long as the hash checks out. Hence, backing up bad data or overwriting a good backup with bad uh, a bad version of that does not happen. When a hash doesn't check out, the mirrored copy is checked out. If it's good, then a bad block is marked without operator intervention, and a new mirrored copy is created. ZFS also makes disks of pools independent of the file systems on them, so adding disks is no problem and creates bigger volumes. Additionally, Snapshots are supported like in NILFS. Food for thought for you and your listeners from a ZFS user. Thank you very much for the feedback, Deep Geek. That's actually very invaluable because, as I've said, I like to choose file systems for a reason. And so it, it, it makes me feel good to hear from someone who I know has been running ZFS for a long time. He's he's talked to me about it in person, or not in person, but you know privately, like over email, before. So so I, I've... I've known that he's run ZFS for a while, and certainly I'm aware of ZFS as an option, and I kind of feel like it's gained a lot of popularity recently with, with sort of air quotes or an asterisk by recent, because I know it's not really that recent. But when Sun Microsystems disappeared, ZFS got released as open code, bizarrely under the the, I guess, infamous CDDL license, which... I don't really understand the the debate about CDDL and and how it is how or why it is incompatible with the GPL. Point is that the CDDL license is com- so completely incompatible apparently with the GPL that it can't even be shipped in the same you, you're not even allowed to breathe it in the same breath. You you cannot mention those two licenses together, much less ship them together or or put them together in some form. I, I honestly, it's just beyond the capacity or maybe my interest to understand that sort of incompatibility. It just seems really strange to me. But but there you go. Maybe that's part of the license, and it's all legal stuff, and you can't really argue with it because it's all messy and gray-areaed, and, you know, and, and there's always like, well, the best practice is to just avoid it entirely. So that's apparently what Linux kind of has to do by... by letter of the law, I guess, they they cannot ship ZFS, and so that's a big deal, because people think, oh, well, I want to run ZFS, so I'm going to switch to BSD, or, or Solaris, I guess. Not really Solaris, but anyway, ZFS. It's a thing, I know it's out there, I have not tried it. Could I try it with Slackware? Yeah, absolutely, I could totally try it with Slackware. My... The, the the question that I've had and continue to have with ZFS, and this email actually doesn't help with that question. It, it kind of makes me ask the question 
more, is is ZFS useful on a single disk? Like a single drive system, is that a useful thing to have ZFS on? Not that my tower actually is single drive, but the other drives are occupied. So I, at this point in my computer build, I, I don't have a big array of disks that I can say, okay, that's my system. I have, I have, I could probably double up, but I'm not. I'm, I know myself. I'm not going to. I should. I'm not going to anytime soon. Maybe I will at some point. It would be kind of. It would be pretty cool to have a nice little mirrored system going on. Uh, but I would have to. I'd have to just sort. I would have to like sit down and budget the money for you know three of the same drives or whatever, and put them into my tower, and then configure it. And it would. It would be a thing. And I, I don't. I don't know how soon that's going to happen. So is ZFS useful to me? If I have one, you know, two terabyte drive and I want to run a ZFS system on that, is, I, is there a point or does it not really make sense for me? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, for Slackware, I could certainly run ZFS on it. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. I mean, if nothing else, I could just compile the, the kernel module uh, into, in, you know, I could build a new kernel for it if I wanted everything to, to work sort of natively but I, I just don't know if it's if it's worth my trouble to do that now I was running butterfs for a little while and I found that I was not taking advantage of it at all I meant to run it and kind of get a feel for all of its features and really learn about all of its snapshotting ability and all that other stuff and I just it, in practice I just never I never sat down and and got used to it you know and played around with it I just didn't I didn't do it so I think at this point, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably going to just stick with ext4 because it's super easy, right? I mean, you, you install, pop in the Slackware disk, and you choose ext4 instead of jfs or, or whatever, and then you're done. That's it. So at this point, that's probably what I'll stick with. Having said that, though, uh, if, if bandwidth allows, I could see myself trying either zfs or butterfs or, or even nilfs. Who knows? Who knows what I might try if, just for fun and actually and actually get into it because I, I got into JFS I, I really I really did stretch its limitations and I, I figured out what was possible and not possible on it so if I'm looking for another file system to adopt maybe I will you never know um, but for right now I think my interests or rather my attention uh, is is focused on other things and I don't know that I'm going to get around to really seriously trying something big and important like ZFS or even ButterFS, to be honest. But I should. I should try ZFS. It's just in my mind, it's a big data file system. And, and I know that that's not what I'm doing, and it's probably not where I'm headed, so it's just not a priority for me. That said, it's super interesting stuff, and I'm glad that DeepGeek is trying it on my behalf. Next email is from John. John, uh is the guy a couple of episodes ago who had emailed me about Lutris and was talking about the the Lutris term, the name. And I think he, he had said that it meant otter or something like that. And I mentioned that I'd seen otters at the Wellington Zoo. And so John emailed me and said, you mentioned seeing otters at the Wellington Zoo in reply to my email about Lutris. I was in Wellington recently and was at the Wellington Zoo. And if you're thinking he's going to reveal that he's actually an otter, that is not where this email's going, unfortunately. No, actually, he did see the otters, and he saw the same ones. Like, he, I mean, presumably, they were at the Wellington Zoo. I don't think they swapped them out. So, yeah, isn't that weird? What are the chances of someone listening to my 
podcast, just going to Wellington, and then just so happens to go to the Wellington Zoo to see the otters. I mean, what are the chances that he and I were there on the same day? Who knows? But uh, there you go. Yeah, he says that he saw the same otters to which I referred. I mean, maybe John is just really, really diligent, and when he hears something on a podcast, he goes to investigate. Maybe that's why he was in Wellington. Probably not. But that email about Lutris, uh, well, really about otters, uh, made me think about something that I'd in Steam for Linux. So I, I've i been doing a lot of different things with Steam lately. Well, not super lately, but over the past year or two. And one was that I tried a Steam OS, a proper Steam OS install on a drive. And that was okay, although I have to admit, I, I feel like they probably don't actually intend for people to custom build their own Steam machine, which surprises me because I don't really feel like they're doing a great job, they being Valve. I don't feel like they're doing a great job, and I've said this before, of marketing the hardware behind SteamOS. I find it quite puzzling that they have SteamOS, that they're investing time and effort in SteamOS, but the thing that would drive SteamOS into the in, as a real force in the market would be the hardware, and and for whatever reason, they're not really pushing that. Which, on one hand, you can say, well, that's good, right? Because that way, it, it's you can just, you know, the 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 logical thing for, and certainly the default setting for any PC gamer, any serious PC gamer, would be to build their own, because they don't typically want to buy a gaming computer; they want to build the gaming computer. Now, a couple of things about that, though. First of all, I don't know how true that is. I think that as as the gaming market expands, I feel like... Well, I feel like what I used to think of as a, a quintessential PC gamer has, has shifted. Because I, I know, like, back in the States, all the, all the... When I was working in the tech industry back in the States, all the people that I knew who said that they were PC gamers were what I think of as a PC gamer. The, the person who, who insists upon building their own rig because they need to get the cooling right, they need to make sure that they've got the just the right mix of CPU and GPU power, they need to make sure that they've got all the RAM that they want, and they want the tricked-out case with all the LEDs and all that stuff. Like, that's the classic PC gamer to me, and it's the PC gamer that I think I identify with, because deep down, that's what I want to do. I want to spend ridiculous amounts of money on a build and just have it light up the room. And, and for the record, I have not done that yet. But that that's kind of the PC gamer. But now I know, you know, again, as the PC market has expanded, I think, or the gaming market in general has expanded, I know a lot of people who would who call themselves PC gamers who are gaming on gaming laptops, which, I mean, people would have laughed at that at one time, I think. Um, or they're they're gaming on on just rigs that they bought from the local computer store. It was being sold as a, a gaming PC, but not you know it's it wasn't something that they actually built themselves. So for me, that's a foreign concept. But I think that's probably representative of this of of the desire for people to get into gaming without the upfront investment of oh by the way you have to learn how to build a computer. And you have to count up your watts and make sure that your power supply can handle everything. And you have to think about cooling and all this other stuff that people don't necessarily want to think about when they just say when they're just when they're just looking at it and saying, "Okay, I want to get into gaming now." So I feel like there's been a consolization, I guess, of of gaming PCs, which for Valve, I would think could be really strong because that would mean that they could have a Valve gaming PC that is running SteamOS, 
that people could purchase, and it would be the hardware to their software. And they they would, in in other words, they would they would have the whole stack. And and we've seen how that benefits other companies, right? Like, I mean, all the console manufacturers own their stack. You you cannot buy a box and then go out and purchase or download the software and have a Nintendo console at the end or a Sony PlayStation or an Xbox. You, you that's not something that you can do. You you buy the console and that is everything. It's an appliance. And certainly there are other there are non-console there are non-gaming related computers out there that are appliances. Apple Macintoshes. You you can't technically build one yourself. You have to get the hardware and with that comes the software and that works both ways if you want the hardware then you inherit the software whether you want it or not and if you want the software you have to put out for the hardware whether you can afford it or not and people do so to me it seems you know in my very limited knowledge of how money and business works it seems like it would be in valve's best interest to say hey here's steam in a box and it is designed and maintained by Valve, but they're not doing that. So SteamOS, I don't get the sense that they want you to install it on your own box, and yet I don't get the sense that they want you to purchase a box from them. So it's very puzzling. And I say I don't get the sense that they want you to install it on your own box, because when I did install it on my own box, first of all, it required EFI, which, I mean, that's not that's not crazy, it's not outrageous, but it is a limiting factor. I mean, if someone, someone can't do that for whatever reason, then that would prevent them from installing SteamOS. It also failed to detect some of my most important hardware components. So, I mean, it got, I think it got the video correct, which is a good thing, but it really failed really, really horribly on the sound. And I don't know, if I'm downloading something that, that is the, the, the thing that gets installed onto a Steam machine, I would have, I would have expected them to, to have tweaked some settings so that it defaults through HDMI sound, because on a console that you're plugging into your television or, or monitor of, of some kind, uh, probably you want your sound to go through the monitor, you know, the the TV, uh, or or at least have that option. And I could not get it to go through HDMI to save my life on 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 the SteamOS. So that that kind of fell apart, and uh, it it became too much to to bother with. So I got rid of that and settled for an Ubuntu install, and then loaded Steam onto it. And that because I was finding at the time that uh, installing Steam on Slackware, while easy up front, became rather troublesome to maintain because it would Steam Steam frequently updates itself, and it might update itself out of running smoothly on your Slackware box. So I I, I ran it on Ubuntu for a little while on a on a random partition, and and that because again, be, because that was at the time I think the recommended basis for steam os or something like that i think it's shifted now to debian but but at one point it was ubuntu and i tried it on fedora too i've I've run it on fedora steam on fedora and and that worked but but then you have this situation where fedora is updating on a weekly basis and steam is updating whenever it wants to and you just have you've got a lot of potential conflicts there and again i think the gaming experience that I'm seeking, at least, is a is very much from the console days because that's what I'm used to. Like all the gaming that I've ever really done before Steam came out to Linux was on a console. So 
the the maintenance involved in being able to game needs to be pretty low in order for me to bother with it because I don't care about gaming enough to really fiddle around with it for for all that long. Other stuff I really care about. I love maintaining, but for gaming not 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 all that important to me. So what happens is that I just I just don't bother and then I don't game. So so in order to enable myself to game, I figured okay, it needs to be a little bit easier than that. So what I've been doing recently is running Steam uh just as is on Slackware and it hasn't updated itself out of existence yet. Um but the other day I was I sat down and I wanted to play uh an old an old game. It was BioShock. So early 2000s I think, right? And I thought, well, the way that I been playing Bioshock previously was I would install, well, a long time ago, I would just install Wine on Slackware and then install Bioshock into Wine. I think there was even a Wine Tricks script for it. I mean, it was super easy at one point. And and then I would I would install something to intercept my gamepad signals, which I talked about on, on previous episodes, the uh, anti-micro application. Uh, and and then and the Xbox uh, controller driver preferred controller is actually a PS controller, but uh, the computers seem to like Xbox uh, scheme. So that's that was kind of the 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 workflow: install Wine and Antimicro and Xbox DRV the driver, and and then install the game, and then you could play the game pretty easy. Now Steam started kind of ingesting all games. I, I don't know if you've ever looked at Steam, but there's a lot of games on there. There really are. And and there are lots of old games, I, I, I gather, just kind of stopped. They ceased to distribute, and they just put their game on Steam and walked away. So you can actually get quite a few what I think of as old games on Steam, and then you'll get weird updates. Like, you'll get remastered versions for free all of a sudden, and you'll just think... This is an ancient game. How come I suddenly got a remastered version? That's great. So it's 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 nice. You have to admit it is it's it's really a nice little system. And again, especially for games, which I'm really I there's such a low priority for for the amount of effort that I want to spend. Uh, it, it's 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 a pretty nice service. And I know a lot of people don't like this service, don't want this service, and want the discs. They want to keep those discs and hold on to them. And that's the service that they want. And I can identify with that, except for little things like those discs, at least within within my experience, those discs have very rarely been standalone discs. So all of the discs I I think I've ever owned, it seems like, you have to... It, it wants to connect with some server on the other side. And if it can't, it will not install. There are probably ways around that, but once again, really, really want a low barrier to entry here. I want to just, just if I want to play Bioshock or Kingdoms of Amalur or whatever it is, then I just want to start the game and play. And if I have to work too hard for it, I, I realize I don't care about that game all that much, and I go and do something else. So Steam is working for me pretty well in that in that sense. Could it be better? Yes, it could be better. It just could be open source, and I wouldn't have to worry about it. And then when I wanted to install any of these games, I could just type in sport install Bioshock or sport install whatever, and it would just, it would install, and it would be that simple. And it wouldn't have to be continually updated and maintained by some service out there. All of this is to say that Steam owns a huge collection of games at this point, or I should say possesses a huge collection of games at this point. And I 
thought, since I have this game, I wonder if I could try out that new Steam thing called Steam Play, which, if you'll recall, I've talked about this in a previous episode, utilizes wine libraries, or a fork of wine, as I understand it, called Proton, to enable Windows uh, games, or, or Windows binaries, really, in, uh, in Steam on Linux. And it's called Steam Play, is what the name of the, the, the feature is called. And this is, so this is exciting on a, for a couple of different reasons. And, I mean, for me, all the reasons that I've just described. Low barrier of entry to just start playing a game that I want to play. I can install Steam on whatever Linux I have handy, and then I can enable Steam Play, and then I can play a game. And I don't have to think about, is this a Linux game? Do I have to install Wine back in? Do I have to install it via Wine? Do I have to do Steam on Linux and then play the game? None of that matters. It just, it sort of just works. As much as I hate to use that phrase, it just, it really does. It just works. Um, but the other exciting aspect is from, I guess, a business angle or whatever, and kind of an open source success story, would be that that the work that the wine team has done is being leveraged by this huge gaming force called Valve, and and is bringing a whole spectrum of games to Linux users. How does Wine feel about this? I don't know. I don't know their motives or 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 what they are gaining from this from Valve, if anything. I mean, they're not even getting name recognition because the project is called Proton or Photon or whatever, not Wine. So who knows? I'm not sure. But if you're looking at it very dispassionately, sort of seeing, well, how does open source function in this world? I think that it's just kind of interesting. I won't even say if it's good or bad. I'm, I'm just saying it's interesting that that a project that has been re you know that has been reconstructing windows libraries over the course of a decade or more has made such an amount of progress that it is now being utilized by a commercial company to enable linux users to play commercial games i think that's a big deal in the same sense that red hat for instance being purchased by ibm for 34 billion dollars is a big deal and again i'm not making an ethic or moral call about either of these things i'm just saying those are those are things that have made an impact and if there's even a debate about whether open source is a thing or not i think that those two things at least um assure would assure any skeptic that yeah open source is a a true force in the world to be reckoned with and that's cool that's that's neat because i just i feel like it would be i feel like when you can just sort of give a one word answer to a question i feel like that's that that's the point where you kind of you, you just don't have to worry about that thing anymore you know and it used to be that we had to say like if someone said and people would do this and i it, it's funny now that i feel like i should probably explain the history of this because there might be listeners who don't realize that people used to do this so i guess that really must prove the point but yeah there there used to be a time believe it or not dear listener when people would would seriously question whether open source was a viable thing or even a good thing or a thing that should be done i've been in those conversations where people say things like oh open source is is damaging to the the software industry open source isn't real it's a hobby it's just it's it's not real software development things like that and you have to sit there and justify why you're interested in open source or why you're using open source or why you're developing open source 
and that just doesn't happen anymore i don't feel like i, I don't think that's a thing really and and if it ever is you can now just say yeah well but there's proton on steam and that's it that closes that shuts that conversation down or you can say yeah but red hat was was bought up by ibm for 34 billion and that's it you know it's just like one little almost snarky but not quite snarky because it's true comment and the conversation is is closed it is over it has been proven and that's really really an interesting place to be now because it really honestly did not used to be like that so point is i sat down i said to myself i want to play bioshock i'm going to find out what this steam play thing is all about so i did a quick search on duckduckgo for steam you know enable steam play steam whatever linux uh, and it came up with this super quick little instruction thing from some website, and it showed you how to go in and you turn on the beta mode for Steam or something like that. And then you, then I think you have to go in and set to activate Steam Play or something. But you, you do all these little steps to enable the, the, the new fancy new feature on Steam. And you restart Steam, and it starts back up, and it comes up, and... And suddenly, all of the games that it had previously listed as not available on your system are now available through Steam Play. And so you can install them. And when you're installing them, it, it so it downloads, you know, the 11 gigs or whatever it is for the for the game. And then it does uh, first-time setup. And it does this fairly invisibly. It's just that the the thing that said it was installing now changes to performing first-time setup or something like that. And then it launches the game. Now, both in both I think I've played three different games under this system so far, uh, and in all three of them, it was like Bioshock, Kingdoms of Amalur, and uh, one of the Tomb Raiders. All three of them, I think, when I first launched the game, it kind of it would it didn't come to the front of Steam. I had to sort of alt tab around to find where the window had launched. And I still am not 100% sure if that's what triggered the window to appear or if I was just being impatient and the window would have appeared eventually. I'm, I'm not sure. But but know that, that the first launch at least is a bit slow. But I have to say it runs beautifully. It, it was absolutely flawless. Now, keeping in mind that these were all very old games, so Wine itself had caught up enough with DirectX or whatever that technology is that runs most of those windows games it, it wine has caught up with all of that stuff and is able to 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 deal with it quite well so i'd played all all of the games that i tried on steam play in wine previously it wasn't it, it wasn't like this was delivering to me something that had never happened before it was just delivering to me the the the, the same functionality more um invisibly so rather than having a, a separate partition that was running steam os or rather than having the linux steam version and then the wine executable uh, that would launch those other three games that i i don't have on the linux steam or something like that or the Linux Steam client and the Windows Steam client in Wine, that you know the the Windows one running the Wine, the Windows Wine games and the Linux ones running the Linux native one. It was all in one place. And once again, for simplicity and to keep me interested longer, long enough to actually get to the point where I'm starting a game, that's that's important for for me. Uh, it's not essential. I mean, I've like I say, I've I've done all of this with Wine before anyway for those games. Uh, and, and 
And the reason I did that in Wine was because I don't, in New Zealand, I do not have a PlayStation, whereas in the States I had a PlayStation for the gaming stuff. So I guess what I'm saying is that I'm finally, I'm finally experiencing the benefit of, of gaming on a PC, which previously there, there'd been, you know, you could kind of, you could look at it in two different ways, and there'd be two different sections that you would have to look at. And one is the section, you know, you got the pros and the cons, right? So previously, the, the, the positive of console gaming was that there was just no fuss. You turned the thing on, and you played your game, and it was that simple. Now, the, the con for console gaming was that you just paid a lot of money for a gaming console, and that gaming console was an appliance, and it did one thing. It it played games. I mean, it might do little things like, oh, it can stream your media, so you can use it as kind of a media center or something like that. Although, will it play your OG files? Probably not. I never tried. Um, but but that was the con, right? You you paid money, you got resources, you got computing resources that you could not make use of, other than to game. Now, the pro of PC gaming was basically exactly the reverse there was the, the 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 pro being well you've just spent all this money on your gaming rig but you can also use it for other stuff so your resources have expanded across the board you've spent money you know you, you can spend a thousand bucks upgrading your pc and you don't just benefit from gaming better you benefit when you're doing your videos or or you're you're making your 3d models or your your graphics or whatever whatever you do the con being that there was a bunch of fuss you had to work at it really hard to get that gaming thing to work so it was the exact it was just it was it was exactly the opposite you could have one but not the other and i'm finally experiencing the I guess what most Windows PC gamers have experienced this whole time because they they agreed, "Hey, I'm going to buy I'm going to I'm going to buy Windows so I can game," which is something obviously I will not do and no one should have to do. The game should not require a should not require the a bundling of this one OS along with the game. That's a huge stack. That's ridiculous. So I won't do that, and now I don't have to. So now I can game, and all of the resources that I push into my computer, I benefit from on everything, whether it's my video editing or my audio work or graphical work or gaming. It's all the same box. And because Steam Play and Steam is making it really, really trivial to get this stuff on the Linux computer in order to play them, there's really no fuss there. So, again, I guess what I'm saying is that if you're into video gaming then this is a great time to be into the video games on Linux because there's a lot on offer. Now, my friend Taj, who if you've heard the Hacker Public Radio series of me and Taj and Lobath playing uh, Pathfinder Interface Zero, then you've heard his voice. Taj pointed out to me, or you might hear his podcast, Dev U Random. Um, so... Taj pointed out that there are a lot of games out there that Steam Play does not work with. And I, I didn't ask him for further details. Probably should have. I didn't. Uh, and I'm assuming they're, they're later, you know, very recent games. So, for instance, as of today, which is November something or another, 2018, Red Dead Redemption 2 has, like, just hit the streets. Uh, God of War 4, 5, I don't know, 8, has, has recently hit the streets. I've not tried those games under Steam Play. I would be surprised if they worked. 
pleasantly surprised, but I would be surprised. So yeah, that there's you know there's still a ways to go, and and we don't have parity, and I don't know what's going to bring parity. I don't know if if the companies are going to finally say, okay, Valve, you're pushing Linux enough at this point that we are we are all going to agree to publish multi-platform, or if Steam Play is going to be so good that it just becomes something that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it's not native on Linux. It's either as good or good enough on Linux to to suffice. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I hope it continues to go, to move in this direction, though. It's not free software by any means. It's not even open source necessarily. Actually, Steam Play is, but but Steam Client obviously is not, and the games certainly are not. That said, it is giving me as a consumer the ability to use my computer that I'm spending money on in in any way that I want, and I think that's important. That's a that's an important thing, and it's it's one of the goals of Linux, I think, is is to bring or of open source in general, I guess, is to bring that that equality across the board. No matter what you're running, you should be able to use the same. You know, you've spent those that that money on that thing. You should be able to use it in the way that you please. So we are getting there. We're getting there slowly but surely, and I'm sure by the time we actually reach the point that we want to be, everything will have been moved to the cloud anyway, and none of us will be running an OS at all. That's what they keep telling me anyway. Well, until then, this has been GNU World Order. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. listening to the GNU World Order AUGcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AUGcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. have the eyes to see into lonely forgotten rooms.